as I said, it's just awesome to have Ian here, and he's part of our apostolic team. Um, we had a great night last night with him, with our elders, and it was just a massive impartation of over two and a half hours, and I thought I could talk. <laughs> I found one greater than I who can talk longer, <laughs> which was awesome. It was like the hose being shared. It was fantastic, though, so... It's just a privilege and an honour, mate, to have you with us again. Good morning. Kia ora. Maloa lele. Talofa. I'd like to read a passage which is pretty much in line with what we've been singing this morning. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And we love God because he first loved us. How many love to be loved? Anyone like to be loved on, mate? How many needy people out there? (laughs) How many have got an attention deficiency disorder? Anyone out there like me? (laughs) One of the greatest things is that It says, to love God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. Love thy neighbor as yourself. But we haven't got an ability to love anybody until we're first loved. How would you like to have your own tank filled up? We're talking overflowing. Most of us have looked for love in the world and ended up with broken hearts, um, guilty consciences, and we've found lust, sensuality, and passion. How many have found all that? It looks like love, but it's not. Some of us have had some of that love from a family member or someone who carries that love that we've um, found hope for. I had a mother like that. She was the only Christian in the family. She gave me hope that there was something good left in society, and her love uh, touched my heart as a young man growing up in that family. But until you find the source of that love, you'll end up living off someone else's love. And my mother um, prayed for us every day and unfortunately in my own pride and my own peer group pressure and, and uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Haven't been around people that influence you. We're talking to fit in, you've got to do stuff, don't you? And your loneliness and desperate need to be wanted often causes you to compromise what you know to be your own morality, what you know to be right and wrong. Have you got a conscience left? I mean, once you end up breaking that conscience and doing stuff you know that is wrong, to live with yourself, you actually have to get other people to join you. (laughs) And in time, once your conscience becomes completely set, you start leading and preaching in it, especially if you are a leader. And so unfortunately, I became what was called the prodigal son. I was a million miles away from God when this experience took place. I was an atheist. Um, I'd done my degree at Lincoln College at University down in South Island. And my world was very much around isms, Darwinism, Buddhism, humanism, Taoism. How many have had a few isms? How many know it's quite Confucianism? (laughs) You can get quite confused because many of us were looking for the meaning and truth to life. In those years, many of us had gone into alternative uh, thinking, hippie, Woodstock type stuff. Anyone try to grow your hair down looking like... Jimi Hendrix or the Beatles. And so our world was trying to find the meaning and truth to life. 
And unfortunately, there are many options out there, aren't there? There's a million different ways. The trouble is I hadn't ever heard that Jesus was the way, that Jesus was the truth, that Jesus was the life, and that God was love. I'd been brought up under the laws of Moses, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And when you break one of them, how many have broken one of the thou shalt nots? Gosh, what a holy bunch of people got here, mate. <laughs> you go down to the local pub and start talking to them. I thought if I'd heard if you break one of them, you're guilty of all of them. So when you're honest with yourself and find out that you've actually not lived up to the thou shalt not standard, well, why not go the whole hog and see them break a few more? Why sit on the fence and play with it? Are you wholehearted or not? Are you just... See, a lot of people become pew warmers or they become people that are lukewarm. You might as well be wholeheartedly into something. You might as well be the walking dead. God looks for someone who's wholehearted. At least he can direct them. He may have to knock you off your horse (laughs) and blind you by the light. But somehow God's looking for a heart that's seeking truth and has a passion for love anyhow where are we we're in Wellington I woke up in Maddie's bed I thought where am I <laughs> see all these wonderful girl pictures and <laughs> I even get put in the kids room <laughs> little Barbie no <laughs> Not anymore. She's gone out of that, haven't you, Maddie? <laughs> Anyhow, the first photograph, I think, we've got this PowerPoint thing working. Let's have a look. Does it work? No, I don't know. Computers, they make great sea anchors. <laughs> Is it working? No, don't you love technology? How many know we live without all that stuff? I'd love to EMP the whole lot, and then we can talk to people. No, doesn't work. work back the front no not going that way either <laughs> just press the button no let's flag it let's forget the powerpoint um, it's much easier i think sometimes to get a visual picture from god not from media remember that we used to have overhead transparencies remember those days <laughs> so my world was as you brought up in new zealand born in tauranga Raised in an Anglican um, upbringing, my mother was an Anglican, High Anglican Church, so we stand up, sit down and kneel, read the liturgy, uh, they've got something. My wife, um, we've been married now for 36 years, no, how many, no, 30 years, not, I've been, so 30, it's in my ring, <laughs> the date, men, make sure, we've been married for 30 years and I'm more in love with her now than I was when I married her 30 years ago. It gets better. The best thing to do is stop trying to fix your wife. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> May not be rocket science, mate. Stop trying to fix her. If God can't fix her, who do you think you are? <laughs> Leave her alone. Zip it, shut up, and speak something nice about it. Otherwise, don't talk. How 
How many women would love to hear the man shut up and speak something nice about them and that's all that comes out of their mouth? Would that be a change? It would be a miracle for some of you guys. She's not your problem. You've got your own problems. Look in the mirror. So thank God, God knows about love. He doesn't rub our face in it. He loves us. Love encourages you to want to change. Okay? Next photograph. <laughs> You've all gone somber on me, some of you guys. are freaking out, mate. And I press the next button. It doesn't work. Look, just forget the thing. Turn the whole thing off. It's easier. Go blank. So anyhow, I began to, um, I came out as a consultant of the dairy board. I work, worked as a consultant. They paid me 400 bucks an hour for some bizarre reason. Well, the people are dumb enough to pay that, mate. <laughs> Go ahead. But in those years, my world was, um, I was not into money. I was not into finance. I was into more trying to help other people. My whole desire was to see how we could save the planet, save the world, and um, yeah, so I'd be what you call the new age greenie. And so in that world, I think I voted for the marijuana party when I got... <laughs> it was totally green in those years. And so in those, those years, it was Cheech and Chong, <laughs> Corumban Mushrooms and Mullingbill Madness. You don't know any of that stuff. And so my world was literally trying to find reality, unfortunately, outside of God and outside of traditional religion. So we're doing the Nambasa stuff up to Coromandel. And my, my whole heart in those years was, is there, real, is there a God? I tried Christianity, so then I looked at all the other religions. And I traveled for two years around the world um, searching. I went to temples. I went to Temple of the Tooth to see Buddha's Tooth. I went to Katragama, Borobudur. I went for all different places where, and where I see now angels would fear to tread. In the pursuit of trying to find do other religions have the truth? Do other religions have a, a knowledge of God that I haven't been exposed to in the West? So the best thing, well, I thought, well, I can't judge it. Let's just go and see it. In the same time, I was hooked to surfing, so I took my surfboards with me and began surfing all around Southeast Asia and then down into the Indian Ocean and towards Africa. I ended up on an island called Mauritius, Reunion, a beautiful part of the Indian Ocean, and I ended up um, working in South Africa in a, a hotel. And my brother wrote to me after being traveling for two years and said, Ian, will you come back to New Zealand? I'm getting married to a girl from Thames. I said, what? Just put it off, man. <laughs> I'm going up overland through Africa, and then I'm going into South America to see the Incans and the Mayans. <laughs> Why are you getting married now? He said... I'm getting married now. Are you coming home? I said, look, I love you. You're my younger brother. Yeah, I'm coming home. So I jumped in the plane, flew back via Reunion and Mauritius, and I'd lived on the island the year before with all the Peter Tosh and Bob Marley boys, the UB40ones. Don't worry, be happy, smoke more hashish. And so I'm living with all the rusters. In those years, we had pulled as many bongs as they had, and so we blew the local rusters out. I think we had enough THC in our bloodstream that one cigarette would send us off. <laughs> Do I'm relating to any of you? Some of you look quite blank. <laughs> Do any of you know what I'm talking about? Good. 
I am 62. (laughs) Scary thought is some parents have actually been there and done that before you. Shock horror. They actually know something. How many parents wonder if you know anything when you get teenagers? How many know nothing about anything and Google searches have told you that you're the... You've got some phobia about something because yeah, you've actually got some absolutes. So here I am. I am traveling. I'm surfing. I'm coming home from my brother's wedding. I go back to Mauritius with the local rustlers. I start surfing, start diving again with them. And they had taught me the year before when I lived there how to night dive. My mother thought I had fish blood in me, so I spent a lot of time in the water, on the water, surfing it, or I just lived in the water. My, my mum thought I was Aquaman or something. <laughs> <laughs> the same. It's called dream on, son. Six-pack became a keg. So here I am. Guess what, boys? When you stop chasing women to get married, it does change. <laughs> so here I am. Some of you can't laugh, can you? So here I am. I am diving, night diving, and my world's about to be changed by a small jellyfish called a box jellyfish. We swam into them. Unfortunately, my wetsuit that I was wearing was short-sleeved because the water was so warm, so my forearms and my neck was exposed. The divers with me found the water at night in the tropics cold, and they had rubber hoods on, full steamers, booties, and gloves. So the jellyfish that were in the water were impossible to touch them. For me, I swam into them and was suddenly exposed to the fact that they hit my face. Using my arm to shield myself, I was hit by five box jellyfish. Um, some encyclopedias say a box jellyfish is 100 times more toxic than a cobra. Some books and discovery magazines say it's potentially the most lethal neurotoxin known to man. Having been hit by one, it's enough to be a death sentence. Hit by five, see, if God wants to raise you from the dead, he wants to make sure that no smart addict says you're asleep. <laughs> Incredible the amount of people that think they know everything about science. Wait till you die. <laughs> so I said by five of them. Do you realize if you won't humble yourself, God isn't able to humble you? He loves you enough to break you. So here I am, I am literally hit. The poison caused my arm to swell up like Popeye. The fisherman who have never seen afraid of anything, turn white. When black Rastafarians turn white, <laughs> the don't worry, be happy, boys, you're in trouble. They said, on tak, c'est fini, allez, allez, vitement, hospital. My limited fifth form French. <laughs> I realized, they said, c'est fini, the end. I said, Simon, what must I do? He said, quatre hospital now, you die. I said, what can I do for my arm? He said, pee on it, urinate on, urinate on it now. How many know that's not an exciting thing to do? <laughs> pee on your own flipping arm. But I tell you what, if you have a fisherman who's been diving all his life tells you to pee on your arm, you do it. I ripped my wetsuit off because I could hardly breathe, peed on it, and I found out later what that does is cause any of the tentacles that are embedded in the flesh to let go. It doesn't stop the poison that's already been pumped in there. It stops any more coming in. You realize the Australians do that? They pour vinegar on it. And if you've been up in Queensland, they put skull and crossbones on the beaches north of, north of um, Brisbane, particularly up around, even coming down the Noosa now, 
all up from all the way up into uh, Townsville. They put nets out because they're so dangerous that they'll kill people. Even the lifeguards have uh, nylon stocking wetsuits to keep the tentacles off their bodies as they try and rescue people without being killed themselves. So I am now being hit by five box jellyfish. The fishermen call it in French, invisible, invisible, uh, invisible one, lethal. I get into the boat, they get me to shore, I stand up and collapse. Within minutes, the poison has taken out half of my body. The kid drags me up the beach, panics because he's left two other divers out on the reef. He's frightened that they'd be hit and killed by the jellyfish. So I'm pleading with him to get an ambulance. I'm pleading with him to get me help. And the poor child makes a, f a fatal error and runs back to the fishing boat and begins to row out to the outer reef. I'm left lying on the side of a road half paralyzed, um, in serious, serious trouble. Many people who were hit by the jellyfish, if they hit in the throat, are dead in three or four minutes. Straight to the brain, straight to the heart. Hit on the extremity, depending on what part of the body, the body then tries to dilute it. That's why my arm blew up. The fluid's trying to dilute the poison. The lymphatic system is trying to keep it away from your vital organs. So it can often be 10 to 15 minutes. Slip into a coma, never come out. It's that quick. I am lying on the side of the road, slipping into a coma. I feel like sleeping. As I begin to shut my eyes, I hear an audible voice of a man say, Son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. What? Who said that? As I looked, I could see no one around me. In New Zealand in those years, we still had tokenui. How many have heard of that? People hear invisible voices. They used to stick them there. Well, I'm lying there going, well, I'm not a nutter. Who on earth is that voice? So do you realize that God can speak? I didn't even know he existed. And why would he speak to me? I heard later the Bible says God speaks and his sheep hear his voice. Well, I was what you call a black sheep. Any black sheep sneaking here this morning looking like a sheep? How many know you can play church? How many know you look very innocent, incredibly holy, and polish your own halo? If you compare yourself with man, you're mostly okay, because most of the rest of the degenerates around you have done the same thing. But what happens if you compare yourself with God? How many know you might come up a little bit shortchanged? So here I am, I am dying, I've got a person I knew and about and had used his name on a regular basis. How many have used the name of God and Jesus quite a few times? How many know it's not exactly hallelujah and welcome to the glory realm, you know? Well, he's speaking to me, a complete heathen that curses his name on a daily basis. Isn't that amazing that God loves us even while we're sinners? And I found out that Jesus goes looking for the lost sheep. No one else was looking for me. <laughs> but thank God God so loved that even while we were sinners, Christ died for me. Even though we cursed him and hated his guts, he was willing to say, Father, forgive them. Not exactly utu and payback. So here I am, I'm dying, a person I don't believe exists is saying, Son, if you shut your eyes, you will die here now. How many of that might wake you up? Had I not heard that, I would have slipped into a coma and been another casualty of the box jellyfish. But thank God there's a person that loved me even while I was a sinner. And thank God he hadn't given up on me. He was trying to save my life. 
I stood up, tried to walk, and found that if I put my weight onto my left leg, I could use my paralyzed leg as a crutch. How many have heard about an adrenal rush where you do stuff that you shouldn't be able to do? People lift up burning cars. I then hobbled down the road, found three East Indian taxi drivers. They looked at me, staggering towards them, and thought I was drunk. By this stage, I'd taken my wetsuit off and put on my, my Balinese you know, shirt and, and surf shirt. So it looked like I was a drunk tourist. I said, I'm not drunk. I've been stung by sark on jellyfish. Can you take me to Cutrevon Hospital now? They said, we can. How much money will you pay us? I said, money? Uh, I don't have any with me, but 50 bucks, 100 bucks. They heard, you have no money on you? Walked away. In certain parts of the world, if you don't have money, you will die. As I'm pleading with them to help me, they just walked away, lit up a cigarette, and just ignored me. Then I heard this voice for a second time. He was right as if he was standing right behind me. He said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I thought, beg for your life? That's a brilliant idea. I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> Turned around, and here's this invisible voice again with an invisible man. Beg for your life? I thought, I bet you these Indians have never seen white men beg in this part of the world. I've just come from South Africa. <laughs> Whites don't beg. Everyone else does. So I thought, I've got nothing to lose. Why not? So I fell to my knees in front of them. As I did, I lifted my right hand, which was paralyzed, and did what I'd seen the zoo. Yes, I'm awesome. I bowed my head and begged for my life. As I'm pleading for my life, two of them just walked away, ignored me. Third one stopped, looked at me, and without a word walked towards me. He helped me into his taxi, and I'm thanking him. We began driving towards the hospital. He said, what's your hotel room number? How you pay me my money? Where you stay? I said, I live with a Creole. Wrong answer. He said, you're in hotel? I said, not hotel. Traveler, Sophie. Wrong answer. He said, where you live? I said, Tamron Bay. We're coming up to the village where the fishermen live. He said, you stay in the hotel there? I said, no. I live with a fisherman. Furious. He said, I'm not taking you any further. You not pay me? Tourist hotel, look after you. I drop you there now. I'm pleading with him. He pulls in front of the hotel. I said, get out. He was so aggressive towards me that I tried to get out. And to my horror, as I tried to move, I found the paralysis of the poison had taken out now both legs. Couldn't move. I said, sir, my legs are gone. I can't even get out of your cab. I have a large amount of money. Take me to the hospital now. It's just up the hill, and I will pay you whatever you want. He took the safety mount off, opened the door, and pushed me straight out of his cab. As I hit the ground, I looked up to saw that my ankles, which were paralyzed, were caught in the door sill. He couldn't shut the door. So he looked me in the eyes, lifted my feet up, and biffed them out and drove off into the night. I thought, what on earth? I thought, if your number's up, do yourself a favor and die here. Who'd want to live on a planet where that's how fellow man treats fellow man for 50 bucks? Do yourself a favor, snuff it here. As I'm lying here, fortunately, the security guards in the hotel had seen the taxi. One of them wanders out, shines his torchlight around the car park, and finds me. I look up to see one of my drinking buddies. How many have got a drinking buddy? The pastor, well, that's helpful. <laughs> How many have been legless crawling around the car park on a Friday night? Obviously not Australia. So here I am. 
<laughs> Don't you love them? So here I am. I've been in churches in Australia and I'm sitting there with a big brown, mate. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> That's in the front row of the churches. <laughs> so here I am. Um, not a stubby, unless <laughs> it's a Darwin one. Here I am. I'm on the ground. My mate is finding me legless on the ground. He's walking over like, what you do, man? I never see you like that. What you do on the ground? Then his torchlight picks up my blistered arm from the jellyfish. Instantly, his voice changed. He said, Pardon, on vis up. Stephanie, you dive with Simon tonight. I said, oui, he was also a night diver. He said, Stephanie, he grabbed me in his arms. Without a word, he races into the hotel grounds and next to the swimming pool where the bars closed are the owners, Chinese, playing at mahjong. The Chinese see me and think, oh, drunk tourist. I explain to him it's not, show them my arm. And one of them stands up and says, oh, you stupid boy. How come you put the needle in the arm? I thought, oh, my dear Lord. This guy thinks I'm chasing the dragon. He thinks I'm, I'm a heroin addict. Because the marks by this stage could have looked like, if you've ever seen a heroin addict, once they've done their arms, they go for their ankles, they go for different parts because they bring necrosis into their veins. So he thinks from the marks on my arms, I must be a heroin addict. I said, this is not heroin. He returns back to his mahjong game. They won't help me. I look to where Danielle is. He's taken off on me. I thought, where's he gone? I sit there next minute out of the corner of my right eye. I see involuntary twitch in my finger joints, and I watch the muscle tissue begin to spasm uncontrollably. Hits my chest and then hits my um, jaw, and my teeth begin to smash into each other. My whole body goes into the death rattles. As I'm shaking the bits in front of them, if you looked at it with not knowing what had happened, you could think it was epilepsy or a grand seizure. But this was the neurotoxin now hitting the core of my body. As I'm shaking the bits uncontrollably in front of them, these men stop their mahjong game, run over and try and restrain them, restrain me, but I am so strong and much bigger than them, I'm literally throwing them off. As soon as the shaking started, it stopped as abruptly as it started. My body then went icy cold. In the core of my bone marrow, I felt death enter the core of my feet. I suddenly was from burning hot, freezing cold. I said, I'm freezing. It's so cold. Can you please get blankets? I'm freezing to death. Three men ran. Two came back with blankets. The older gentleman came back with a glass of milk and tries to pour it down my throat. I thought, what the heck's he doing with the milk? Then I think, well, he must have think that it's a poison. I've ingested a toxin. He's trying to nullify it by giving milk. I said, sir, it's not in my stomach. It's in my blood. I need anti-serum. I need you to take me to the hospital now. In the car park was his Mercedes Benz. I said, can you take me in your car to the hospital? He looked at his car, put his hand on my shoulder. He said, oh, my car? No, no. Cannot take my car. How come you're so worried? Wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry. Be happy. How many of you feel like rearranging someone's face? How many like to give them the full fivefold? Knuckle sandwich, mate. So I'm about to whack this guy because I thought, how would he not take me in his car? I talked to some Chinese friends later and they said, Ian, culturally they, were very, they would have been very frightened that if you died in his car en route to hospital, very bad luck for family. Well, very bad luck for you, mate, because I'm going to whack you. 
So I tried to hit him, but my right hand was paralyzed. I couldn't hit him. So I tried my left hand. There was a little bit of strength in it. I thought, well, I'm not a southpaw, so I no use giving him up a cut. I'll grab his shirt, pull him to my forehead, and give him a headbutt. Do you realize the quiet ones are the most dangerous? They premeditate what they're going to do. Well, most of my family are either farming or in the military. My grandfather was a regimental sergeant major. How many know what those things are? RSMs, how many know you? They do not bring the boys up lightly. The rest were warrant officers, and the rest of them were just a nasty bunch of flippin' male chauvinist pigs. Anyone know what they are? So they don't bring the boys up to be pansies and poofters. They bring them up to basically rip someone's head off. I'm mostly a dinosaur, politically incorrect, but I don't care. I'm too old. So I'm about to rearrange his face and rip him into my forehead, and I hear this voice speak to me again. He said, son, if you whack him, hit him, the poison's so close to your heart, the adrenaline rush will kill you. Did you hear what I just said? If you hit him, you will die now. How many know that is an issue? (laughs) How many sometimes I see red? How many know it's hard to stop a guy who's about to kick off? Have you ever tried to stop a man from fighting another guy? Who gets hit first? You ever seen two dogs about to go each other and some moron get in the middle to break up the fight? Who gets bit first? Well, I'm just about to go... And someone broadsides me and says, if you do that, you'll kill yourself. How many have a little bit of self-preservation in you? (laughs) I thought, well, if I whack him and die, at least have the satisfaction of knowing, he's got no teeth. (laughs) He'll be a cast for age you. He'll be a gummy, mate. I thought, or I can control my anger, look away and get him later. (laughs) Two plans, whack him and die. Well, control your anger, hope you live, and come and fix them later, mate. So I turned over to my right and said, if I survive, you're a history jack, you better flip it over, don't make it. How many are married to controlled anger? None of you, because you won't dare put your hand up. So here I am, I am dying, I am about to hit him. A voice is saying, if you do that, this is the third time, you will kill yourself. I look away to my right, controlling what strength I've got left in me, and to my amazement, an ambulance comes flying into the car park. How many know that God sometimes leads it to the last second before he rescues you? How many know sometimes you try and sort it all out yourself? (laughs) So I'm about to kill myself, and here my friend Danielle has rung the hospital. The ambulance now arrives into the car park, he carries me into it, and off we go. As we're driving towards the hospital, inadvertently they put my feet in the front seat, my head's in the back, and my feet begin to elevate. How many know you don't elevate a patient with neurotoxin in their lower body, which has just paralyzed them, and lift their legs up and climb a ridge? How many heard of gravity? (laughs) Well, I have a rush of neurotoxin out of my lymphatic system coming down into my body. I'd done veterinary science at university, so I was what you call 1% of New Zealand's intelligentsia. How many know that's terrifying? Having listened to me so far, you should be terrified. <laughs> you wait till you see the doctors down in Otago, and then you are definitely terrified. So here I am. 
They were breaking bad before you even knew what that was. So here I am, my legs are going up. And the neurotoxin hits my lung and my heart and my brain and begins to shut me down. I thought, God, I may not even make it. I thought, what will happen if I died en route to the hospital? Is there life after death or is there nothing? I thought, well, I'm an atheist. I'm convinced that when you die, cessation of life, it's finished. But I'm a gambler. I'm a gambling atheist. <laughs> the gambler said, you've been wrong before. <laughs> How many backed a few racehorses with the Queen did? So I thought, why not, mate? So here I am. How many have been wrong before? Come on. Three of you. How many wives just saw a miracle take place? <laughs> he admits he's wrong. My dear God. I'll bring him to church more often. So here I am. I am dying, mate. I'm going, yeah, I've been wrong before, but see, as a gambler, how many know there's a few choices? Isn't there? Buddhism, Taoism, Darwinism, humanism, existentialism, Catholicism, how many know there's a few out there? How many know as a gambler you'd like to back the one that wins and that he's actually in the race? I thought, well, this is like playing Russian roulette. I don't know. I really don't know. I thought, well, I'm not afraid to die. I'll take my chances and see when I die if there's life after death. I mean, no, that's risky. <laughs> so I'm lying there, content to say, well, okay, I can't stop this, mate. I'm going to die. Next minute, in, in that ambulance, right in front of my face, appears my mother on her knees in a bedroom with her hands like this. How many have seen the older people pray this way? Well, I have seen my mother pray many times like this. And we said, Mum, I'm off to the club. Pray I find a decent chick tonight. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't know why my mother didn't leave the shotgun out the window, mate. But how many know mothers just love their kids no matter what they do? I had one of those women. So my mother had prayed for me every day, tried to keep us on the straight and narrow, and hoped the vicar would get us saved. Unfortunately, in hindsight, the vicar himself wasn't saved. <laughs> that would help, wouldn't it? My father said the only reason why they gave him a job is because they couldn't get a job in the real world. <laughs> he said, shake their hands, son, it's like a wet fish. They've never done a decent day's work in their life. How many of that has an influence upon a kid? So here I am dying thinking to myself, well, okay, what's mother doing on her knees praying for me? How many mothers know when your kids are in trouble and you're a million miles away from them? How many men wouldn't have a clue what's going on? Well, my mother knew not only there was something wrong, she'd seen my face appear and God had audibly spoken to her and said, your outer son Ian is nearly dead, pray for him now. How would you like to have a mother that knew God? and could hear his voice. Well, my mother is praying. God then supernaturally takes her prayers across the other side of the world and brings her into an ambulance for, her to reveal, for God to reveal that my mum's praying for me. She then looked me straight in the eye as if she was there and said, Ian, son, no matter how far from God you are, no matter what you've done wrong in your life, if you but call out to God from your heart, son, God will hear you and God will forgive you. I thought, Mother, it's too late. 
It's impossible for God to forgive me of all my sins. I've been there and done that. I'd be an absolute hypocrite, turning to God in my dying seconds, having lived like the devil. Come on. How many have done a few things wrong? I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I'll just graze around so you don't feel like I'm looking at you. How many are a train wreck? We're talking more than just being there and done that. You've done the whole flipping nine yards plus. So I'm lying there and going, and if there is a God, mother, which one? How many knows a few to choose from? So I had two dilemmas. One, I thought I was unforgivable, too late. And two, if there was a God, who is the true God? So I lay there and said, well, God, if you exist, now's a good time to show yourself. If you're real, show me your face and I will pray. As I lay there, no one appeared. And trust me, I'd seen Gani, Shiva, Vishnu, Kalima, Sahibaba. You don't even know who they are. So I lay there and I thought, well, where are they? Show your face. No one appears except Mother. I thought, well, Mother is not God. How many know your mother's not God? <laughs> Goddess-like, but not God. So I thought, my mother is a Christian. She prays to Jesus. Could Mother be right? How many hate it when your mother's right? <laughs> How many hate it when your wife's right and anyone else is right other than you? So I lay there and thought, I have been wrong before. Does this woman's life reflect God should he exist? I thought, well, of all the sick people on the planet, this woman has compassion. I've never heard her speak evil about another person. She's incredibly loving. She even cries at Dallas and the soap operas. Mother, there has to be something out there. It's because she thinks it's real. I said, Mother, it's a soap opera. <laughs> Father said, leave her alone. <laughs> but see, I'm, I'm lying here thinking to myself, days of our life, she would weep at some of this because someone got hurt in it. So I'm going, if there is someone out there that loves people and says she loves God, this woman would be the person I'd point to. Not because she's my mother, but there's something in her that's not of this world. I thought, well, then if mother's right, then I'm wrong. I'm in serious trouble. How many would be in serious trouble if it turned out to be Jesus Christ? How many know the other religions give you a better crack at it? <laughs> Stuffed up this time, you might get it second, third, or 50,000 times later. I thought, well, if it's Jesus and it's him, I know enough of Christianity to know that I'm in serious, serious trouble. How many have heard the word repentance? Anyone heard of that one? So I lay there and I thought, well, what would you pray that's Christian before you die? I thought, I have no idea. But mum taught me the Our Father's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. That's Christian. Jesus taught it. What have I got to lose? So I lay there and tried to remember it. My mind went completely blank. My mother said, do not pray from your head. Pray from your... In fact, I found out later, Jesus said, men honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, my heart, I said, Mother, my heart's like stone. I'm so cynical. I'm so unbelieving. You could strike a match on it. I don't know if there's anything good left in my heart. I'm hardened. How many have had your heart hardened? You don't even trust yourself, let alone anyone else. So I lay there and said, well, my heart's like stone, but God, if you see anything good in it, help me to pray. I can't remember the Lord's Prayer. In that ambulance, words of light appeared. Forgive us our trespasses and sins. I thought, well, that's part of the prayer. It's not the beginning. 
how could God forgive me all my sins by saying this part of the prayer? Oh, well, I haven't got time to list them. How many have difficulty listing them all? <laughs> how many could be there for a few hundred years? So I laid there and I said, well, God, this is a bit of a shotgun prayer. I can't list all my sins because there's a heap of stuff. I don't even remember half the stuff I've done wrong. But if you can hear me, if you can somehow forgive a man like me, please forgive me all of my sins. Instantly, the words disappeared. Fresh words came up. Forgive those who have trespassed and sinned against you. I thought, well, that's easy. I'm not a revengeful man by nature. I'm not vindictive. God, I can forgive anyone, no matter what they've done to me. As I made that wonderful statement, the face of the Indian taxi driver appeared a foot away from me. I thought, what the, is he doing here? Anyone on your hit list? Maybe you're sitting next to them. <laughs> Just had Christmas, haven't we? <laughs> so I'm looking at this, vo- this guy's face who's just biffed me out of his taxi. And the voice said, will you forgive this Indian taxi driver for pushing you out of his taxi tonight and leaving you for dead in front of the hotel? How many of that's fairly Pacific? I thought, why should I? Look what he did to me. If I could have headbutted, I would have, but I was paralyzed. (laughs) And it was a vision. (laughs) How many have manifested somewhat and kicked off? Next minute, up to the left of this comes the Chinese hotel owner. His wonderful face and countenance appears a foot away from mine. The voice then said, will you forgive this Chinese hotel owner for not taking his car tonight and leaving you to die in the hotel? I thought, well, actually, I had other plans for their lives. I was going to lay my hands upon them. <laughs> but not like the vicar. Hey, God bless you. Problem breathing, Jack? Don't worry. So I'm lying here thinking to myself, who the heck is this voice? How many of some of us are dumb and dumber? How many of you have to be hit with a four by two before you actually get it? Suddenly the penny dropped. That voice I've heard, will you beg for your life? Hit this man, you will die. You know what I mean? I'm now confronted with this person's voice associating himself with what my mother called the Lord's Prayer. How many know that's not my voice talking to me? How many know if that is God's voice, he's requiring me to do what? Repent of my sins, God forgive me. But what does he say if you must then forgive others who have sinned against you? In fact, if you don't forgive them, you nullify your repentance. Your sins will be not forgiven against him if you don't forgive others. How many know that's a conditional, um, that's conditional? Do you realize we spend sometimes 20 to 30 years in church, once they've got supposedly saved, trying to get them to forgive? We spend years of counseling trying to get people who have come to Christ to forgive. Wouldn't it be nicer to do it when you got saved? Save a lot of counseling costs (laughs) and a lot of heartaches. So I lay there and said, God, I don't want to forgive them because of what they've done to me. And they are the tip of an iceberg. How many have got a few other people on your list? 
But if you can forgive me all my sins, how many know that would be a miracle if God could forgive you of all your sick, degenerate stuff you've done up to today, wipe the slate clean? Do you think you could forgive those who have abused you, messed you up, and taken advantage of you? I said, yeah, I can do that. I forgive them. I'll never touch them. I'll never seek them out. I will never, ever try and harm these men all the days of my life. Instantly, their faces disappeared. Then, of course, years later, God got me to go to Southeast Asia to work with Chinese and Indian people. <laughs> Isn't that where the rubber meets the road? Let's see if it's real, son. Let's see if it's real. Because if it's not worked in your heart, it's just lip service. How many people say, I forgive you? Then you see them the next day. <laughs> Lightning bolts coming out of a cloud above them and you feel the knife go through your back as you walk past them. See, words are very easy. But if it's not from the heart and you don't back it up, you will hold. Do you realize the bitterness and the hatred and the anger will destroy you? It's like a cancer. It's worse than cancer because it will literally kill your soul. You've been a victim of someone else's abuse, but your unforgiveness and pain will actually destroy you from the inside out. Do you realize that Jesus has a great way of healing that? Forgive them, and then he'll heal your broken heart. How would you like to be healed? How would you like to have a new heart? Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Set me free. But I can only love when he first loves me. I can only release forgiveness when he forgives me. Much is given, much is required. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Jesus came to a prostitute. You know what she did? Wept. She sent men. She knew men. But when she saw this man, she went, ah, this is different. This is the son of God. She wept with repentant tears all over his feet. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Religious people wanted to stone the kid to death. Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, he was without sin cast the first stone. And do you realize the first men that dropped the stone were mostly the older boys? The younger bucks thought they were really holy. Eventually, every one of them dropped the stone because under the law, if you commit adultery, stone to death. But Jesus said, who of you is without sin? You cast the first stone. Then he began writing in the dust. You know what he was doing? Mostly writing their sins. Because he knew the hearts of all men. And if anyone who was a man realized, I'm out of here. Pfft, I ain't chucking that. I'm gone. Jesus then looked at the woman and said, where's your accusers? Go and sin no more. That's true repentance, isn't it? A loving, forgiving God who can forgive you and said, I want to set you free from sin. He who sets you free, free indeed. Jesus said, I am the Son of God, I'll set you free. He who sins becomes a slave to it. I had tried enough New Year's resolutions, I had tried enough things to try and stop from doing things, but thank God only Jesus could actually set me free from my habits and my bondage. How many have got a few bondages? None of you, because you're all Christian holy people. So here I am, all lies. So here I am, I am dying in an ambulance. I've just forgiven people who have assailed me that night, and next minute more words come up. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought, what does that mean? God's will. Well, whatever God's doing in heaven has got nothing to do with my lifestyle on earth. 
That means I'm going to have to admit I'm wrong, surrender my life to him, and allow him to become Lord of my life. How many know it's very hard for a man to admit he's wrong and humble himself and surrender his life to the lordship and leadership of Christ? I said, well, God, I've never done that, but I need a miracle. If you help me through this, I'll find out what you're doing in heaven, and I'll try and live it on earth all the days of my life. Suddenly the whole prayer came. People said, how come it took so long? I said, if you've ever been in a car wreck, you know that time slows down. In that ambulance, time slowed down. I said to God later, why is that? He said, Ian, I'm eternal. I'm outside of time. I actually can manipulate time because I wish that none would perish. I've met guys who've had heart attacks in front of their wives or friends, and they said the guy had no chance to pray. But when you talk to them, everything went into slow motion. Guys on head-on collisions. Don't you think that there's something called instantaneous? It's a bit like the Matrix with Neo. (laughs) You conduct the bullet through what? Repentance. How many know we will not be forgiven apart from the blood of Jesus? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But you don't just mean he's going to take the sin of the whole world away without you repenting. You have to repent and ask him before that can be applied. So I'm lying here, suddenly realizing there's the entire Lord's Prayer comes before me. I have prayed it in meaningless repetition, following it from the liturgy in church, and have never applied it to my heart. I have never understood the Lord's Prayer. I have never actually given my life to God. In that ambulance, and I had certificates to say I was christened and confirmed. How many have got those things? How many have done the religious things to please your parents and you've gone through the process? Catechism, how many have done this stuff? Gosh, no one does it anymore. So here I am, I am lying here in an ambulance, suddenly find out Jesus is real. I thought what a bizarre thing to find out Jesus is alive just before you die. I thought, I wonder how many men just like me turn to God, and I thought, oh, gosh, you've got to be careful you don't judge people. I bet you there's a heap of men just like me who turn to Christ in their dying seconds, and no one knows it. So don't you judge anybody. You just pray for them like my mother did because you don't know how gracious God is. They may have a thousand people wish him dead because of what he's done, but it only takes one praying mother to turn the heart of God. God's loving and wishes that none would perish. He wants to forgive even the worst. How about the butcherers and murderers that were next to Christ on the cross? He was willing to forgive one of them right there on the spot when he said, I'm guilty. You're innocent. Remember me. How's that for a deathbed prayer? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The other boy was giving him lip. Where he went, I hate to think. So I finished praying. Peace enters my heart, and this peace hasn't left me in 37 years. Because Jesus said, I am the Prince of Peace. Peace I give you, not of this world. That peace went into me. I didn't have to have a certificate to say I was a Christian. I know I got it in my heart. Not under duress, not under someone else. It wasn't my mum praying for me. It was me repenting of my sins. Her prayers could not save me. It could only bring me to a point where I could pray. You must call upon the name of the Lord. Those who call upon the name of the Lord from their heart shall be saved. I didn't know what salvation was. I'd been taught, follow the Ten Commandments, be a good boy, and maybe you'll make it up there someday. It was the lucky dip. It was Russian roulette. Thank God the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, saves nobody. The only person who fulfilled the Ten Commandments, the Bible tells me, is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, a new covenant in his blood. 
We're not saved under the law, we're saved under grace. Even Moses, who wrote the law, was a murderer. Come on. So the people who actually God appeared to, David was an adulterer and a murderer. And it says he had a heart after God like no man on the earth. The Bible says Moses was the most humblest man on the earth and he was a murderer. How many know there's hope for all of us? So no one can fulfill the Ten Commandments. Only Christ came to fulfill the law. A new covenant in his blood. With the blood of sheep and goats and sacrifice could not take away man's sin. The blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, could wash away our sin. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood. Come on, do you, some of you agree with this or you just don't believe any of this stuff? If you're a Christian, it would be helpful to nod your head and say, yes, I agree, that's in the Bible somewhere. Well, I'd never read one. That's what the vicars did. We had a high, and, the, and the, I went to my mates in the Catholic Church, they had a big rail, wooden rail, you couldn't step over. And then you had the Bible sitting either on a, a brass thing with a pelican picking its heart out for some reason, or an eagle trying to fly off the ground. I once, as a young kid, tried to step over the rail. My mother nearly killed me. I said, no, I'm just going over. No, come back here. Have you noticed we don't have any big high rail here? So I've just got saved in an ambulance and I'm still dying. Time had stopped. I was now fighting for my life again. I thought, what the heck was all that about? Next minute, the ambulance doors open. I'm raced into the hospital in a wheelchair. Nurses take my blood pressure, no pulse. Another machine, no pulse. Do you realise it's bizarre to have a person looking at you, yet this age, no pulse? <laughs> well, this nurse went, she couldn't believe it. She'd never seen it. She hit a machine, tapped the glass where the mercury stood, was supposed to move, didn't move. She's staring dumbfounded at a person whose eyes are open, breathing, looking at her, no pulse. How many paramedics or nurses or doctors know what this is? What happens to your extremities? Shut down. What is the body trying to do? Keep the circulation and blood supply where to? So the extremities do what? They go crash mode. They shut down. Do you realize that God's amazing? Is he trying to keep them alive? <laughs> it's intelligent design, not by chance. It's not taking a Rolex watch, crushing it and saying, come back together again. There's a design there. Mr. Dawkins agreed. He thinks it's an alien that seeded the planet. <laughs> Silly boy. So here I am dying. I've got a nurse in front of me who thinks I shouldn't be awake or looking at her. I'm thinking, hurry up. <laughs> the ambulance driver sees the nurse has lost the plot. How many know you can wait a long time to see a doctor? <laughs> How many have to be seriously near dead before you even get to see one? Has it changed here in New Zealand since I might go to the NHS, mate? So here I am, I've just been 10 years in London. The nurse sees the ambulance driver, rip it off, push it to one side and race me through to the doctors who were sitting in a room in the back of nowhere, talking to themselves, which they do. <laughs> they looked up to see someone race into the room in a wheelchair. They look at me and start speaking in French. 
I'm thinking, my French is oompity burr. I said, I've been stung by sark, ombizarb, jellyfish. I'm nearly dead. I need antiserum now. Fortunately, the older Indian guy had been trained in Oxford. Perfect English. Out of his mouth comes the most exquisite, posh English. (laughs) The nurse comes screaming in with the two blood pressure results. He sees them. Suddenly, the old doctor sees that I've got no pulse, jumps up, pushes the ambulance driver out of the way and races me in the wheelchair down the corridor screaming for help. He comes into a room, pulls out, the, opens the cabinet and starts filling up syringes himself and shoving them into me. How many know if the doctor starts using like a pincushion, we're in trouble? How many hate needles? I hate them. So another nurse, rear, she's doing this. Oh, she's trying to get a line. Another one shoving me in here. The old doctor saying, by this stage, he's got help. He said, this is anti-serum for the, for the neurotoxin. We're, we're using dextrose for dehydration. Son, keep your eyes open or you will die. Don't close your eyes. I'm going to try and save your life. By this stage, I can't speak anymore. I am going out of my body. How many have heard of this? I'm clinging to it going, no, I don't want to die. My veins are collapsed, they won't move, so they manually try and massage it up my forearm and it's rolling off their thumb and forefinger. The poor doctor said, son, I'm afraid that's all we can do for you. I realised what he could have done, but I'm not a mannequin and I'm not a cadaver. So he chose not to go for the heart because you don't want to practice and get a, a, a male practice suit. So he banged, obviously, son, that's all we can do for you. They lifted me up, stuck me on a bed, stood over me, and the dextrose, or the, the fluid that was bringing back from the dehydration, started to form perspiration on my forehead and slot into my, my eyeballs. I couldn't keep my eyes open. Pools of perspiration. I said, doctor, please come. My lips wouldn't move. I tried to lift my hand to wipe my eyes. My hands wouldn't move. I tried to tilt my head so at least get one eye open. My head wouldn't move. How many know it's not good? <laughs> so I tried my eyelids to squeeze the liquid out of the pools because I couldn't see. Close your eyes, you'll never awake again. Close your eyes, you will die. How many have been in parties where you drank everyone under the table and you're a last man standing? Before ecstasy turned up? No. So I'm thinking, tonight's the night to stay awake. This will not kill you. It's called positive thinking. As I'm fighting for my life, I can't get the fluid out of my eyes. My eyelids are getting more and more poison through the capillaries. My eyelids, I can hardly lift. I thought, well, what I'll do is do a power nap. How many have done the power nap? How many powered off for a few hours? <laughs> How many have hit the snooze alarm and you actually ripped the thing out of the wall? So I'm thinking, if I close my eyes for a few minutes, I'll get the strength, that'll get it, I'll, I won't die. Shut my eyes, and as I did, I felt an incredible release. The machines monitoring my vital organs flatlined. I mean, no, that's not looking good either. <laughs> I then find myself, to my amazement, come out of my body. How many have heard of people looking down upon their body and they're 10 feet above them? How would you like to find out that you're alive but your body's dead? How many might that might rearrange your thinking about life after death? How many have heard when a man dies, his spirit leaves his body? How many have heard ash to ash, dust to dust? How many know there's the first death, which is the death of the physical body, but your spirit will be sent to God for judgment? 
I'm finding to my amazement my physical body's dead, but I'm very much alive. How many feel like you could live forever, but when you look at the mirror, things have changed? <laughs> How many as you get older, you think you are the $6 million man? <laughs> How many you like to get a new body? <laughs> I mean, the old one's failing quite quickly. So here I am. I am dead, but alive. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall Isn't that a tongue twister? If you believe in me, even though you die, yet you shall live. Do you think Jesus knows something about life after death? Possibly. So to my amazement, I'm alive, my physical body's dead, in a split second I'm out of the hospital. I then find myself standing upright in complete darkness. I thought, what happened? Did they have a power cut in this third world hospital? And we've lost the lights? How long have we been asleep for? Perhaps my pupils are dilated. So I turned around. No light. I thought, that's weird. Where's the light switch? Ever slept at a friend's place and need to go in the... like I did last night. <laughs> Go the wrong way, walk straight into a closet. Or walk straight into a wall. So I'm, how many have figured out the best thing to prevent yourself from being hurt when you sleep over and need to go to the, the toilet is put your hand and foot out. So I'm groping out to my right thinking, God, I hope I don't trip over a bedpan. Because in my brain, I'm in a hospital. I thought, well, what's happened? Where's my bed? So I go back to my left. I thought, no, you've lost your bed, you idiot. How did you do that? So I'm groping around in concentric circles trying to find a chair, a bed, something. Although it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. So I bring my right hand towards my face. My hand goes straight through my head. That's impossible. You can't miss your face. Two hands. Both hands straight through my face. I thought, where's my chest? Both hands go straight through it. I thought, where are my hands? Both hands go straight through it. How many have noticed that when people die, they leave their bodies behind? So flesh and blood doesn't come out of of this realm. How many know you've got a spiritual body? To my amazement, I'm there with the whole sensation of hands, legs, eyes, mind, emotions, I can think, I can recall. I thought, if I died, left my body, and I'm standing here in this reality? Then I become acutely aware that in the darkness there was an evil presence. How many have felt evil? We're talking, you could, it's heavy. How many have been in places you shouldn't have been? I felt evil was all around me. I felt like something in there was looking at me. I thought, what the? Next minute, I felt movement coming towards me. Then I heard a man to my right say, shut up. I went, shut up. I said, nothing. If someone fronted me in those years, my parents and my uncles would teach me to put up a fight. Don't get your head kicked in, son. Have a go. How'd you like to have an invisible arm and block a guy that you can't see? (laughs) Another man to my left. You deserve to be here. I said, deserve to be where am I? Another man in front of me. You're in hell. Now you shut up. 
I thought, hell? I don't believe in it. If this is hell, where's the party? How many have thought everything you can't do up here, you can do down here and get away with? I mean, it would be very hard to have a beer. <laughs> Ralph, you laugh and, laugh and get around that one, son. I mean, it would be very hard to pull a bomb. You like pulling bong water, mate. <laughs> Couldn't even find the cone. I mean, it would be very hard to have sex. Can't touch this. I mean, that would be hell for most men on the planet. I'm thinking, well, where's the boys on the Harleys? Where's the fire? Where's the boys with the little pitchforks, trident pitchforks, the horns coming out of their head with the red tail, putting another one on the barbie? Rotisserie? So I've got two pictures. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll is what my body needs. You injury stuff. That ain't happening. Or it's religious. It's demons, roast them up, hellfire and brimstone. I'm standing in a place of complete darkness. No fire. How many know what fire gives off? Light. Who's the, who's the source of light? Who's an all-consuming fire? Who sits upon a throne of fire? Who has a river of fire coming beneath you? Who said, I'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire? God's a refining fire. He's a purifying fire. So I'm having a realization that there's no fire here. There's no light here. This is the kingdom of darkness. There's no sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I could be here five minutes to 5,000 years, and these are men standing here telling me to zip it. I thought, oh, 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 this is a different hell than what I've thought about or heard or even been presented. Perhaps God's thrown the key away. I deserve to be in hell. But how many have heard that the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no, for thou art. Who had I made Lord and shepherd of my soul just before I died in a deathbed prayer? It was the Lord's prayer. Who had I proclaimed? Who taught it? Jesus. I had actually given my soul over to the shepherd of my soul, the Lord. How many have heard, greater is he within me, nothing can separate me from the love of God, life nor death, principality of power, not even Satan can separate me from God's love. And though I walk in darkness, I shall fear no. Greater is he within me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Where can I go from his presence? Even if I made my bed in Sheol, the Lord will descend and bring me out. How many know that Jesus has been there for for three days and three nights? How many knows the pits of hell know who he is? How many heard that he holds the keys of death and hell, Hades? How would you like to know the person that actually holds the keys of death and Hades? How many know you don't have to burn hell money to try and bribe the guards to get him out? Some religions teach that. Thank God Jesus holds the keys. He has walked in the valley of the shadow of death. He said, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. What do you think the belly of a whale looks like? Molten fire or darkness? Though I walk in darkness, he is my light. In the midst of the darkness, light pierced down from above. God left me there long enough to show me where I should have gone. 
I can't repent in there. No one can pray me out of there. I had to have repented before I die. It says, after death comes judgment. You must be born again before you die. I got born again and saved in an ambulance. Didn't know any of the terminology. I'm now standing in the pits of darkness, walking through hell, but it can't touch me. Can't touch this. Dear Lord. Uh (laughs) Remember that guy? (laughs) So some of you really haven't seen stuff, have you? So here I am, I am alive, next minute light shines in and I go up. How would you like to be caught up into the light? How many know when Christ returns, if you're still alive, you'll be caught up into the Yeah, how many can't wait for that? I can't wait for it. I hope I'm alive when it happens. I am now going up into the light. As I'm going up, I can see far above me a tunnel. How many have heard that there is a narrow way? How many, Jesus said, there's no other way to the Father but by me? How many know that's very exclusive and not politically correct? How many, if he's God, he would like to tell you the truth? If he's God and he says there's only one way, it's not us Christians saying that. He said it. We're not the way, he's the way. We're not the truth, he's the truth. If he says there's no other way to the Father but through me, then there's not a stairway to heaven with a druid priest standing on the top of it, with Led Zeppelin. There's actually only one way, and I'm seeing one passageway between two kingdoms. Acts 26, 18, Paul the Apostle said, there's a kingdom of darkness ruled by Lucifer, and there's a kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. And he said, Jesus told us that no one can come through but through him. That he is the true way, he is the meaning of life, and he is the light of the world. I enter this tunnel of light and I'm moving at the speed of light. Waves of light come up towards me. I used to ride um, RD350s, Norton Commandos, and Triumph Bonnevilles. How many of you in those days, those days, you used to get this bit of <laughs> ripple your face back, blow all the water out of your eyeballs because you're going, trying to go as fast as you can on these flipping old Bonnevilles? How'd you like to be traveling at the speed of light? No physical body to restrict the speed. Wave of light comes up from the source as it hits me, comfort, a living emotion. I tried southern comfort and a few other comforts. (laughs) But Jesus said, I will send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Next wave, it hits me, peace, from the tip of my head to the base of my feet. This peace hasn't left me, because Jesus' peace is not of this world. I turned my head to the right, thinking in the darkness I couldn't see my hand. It went straight through my face. I wonder what I look like in the light. Turned my hand. Here is my arm and my hand and fingers, but no longer bone and flesh, transpirit, spiritual being of light. Scriptures say God is the father of light, and we are sons and daughters of light. In an instant we shall be changed. Mortality will take on immortality. First the natural, then the heavenly. First the earthly, then the spiritual. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your flesh and blood, when you die back in the hospital or in the car wreck where you went. But your spirit will be changed. And if you know the Lord, you will be a son and daughter of light. I'm seeing my spiritual body full of light. I can see my hand come up. I can see it and realize now I could place that through my face but it's itchly over spiritual being of light. How'd you like to see that? That's why guys in wheelchairs have had their legs amputated, feel like they can walk. They feel their legs are there. Guys have had arms ripped off in industrial accidents, they feel the arms still there. It is. 
people with spina bifida, when they die from, pol- from all kinds of diseases, guess what? Those people will step out of their physical body and, and the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. Because all the infirmities will be back in the physical clay vessel of the physical body. Thank God you're alive. For some people, it's a blessing for them to die. If God doesn't heal them, it's a blessing for them to die. I believe in healing, but I pray for people and they didn't get healed. But if they know the Lord, that's more important. They get a new body. It's not defeatism. It's not a lack of faith. It's reality. No matter how much healing you see, people will still die. Because God knows there's eternal life outside of this life. So I'm now in, in this tunnel of light, seeing my hand. I then went further down and a wave of light comes up, incredible joy. I pop out of the tunnel full of comfort, peace and joy. How many of that's rare? <laughs> some of you look like you could do with a little bit of joy. <laughs> I've seen some people in church say, God, whatever you got, I don't want to catch it. <laughs> really? Laughter is good medicine. Some of you might get healed today just listening to me. <laughs> Ted, let, who let that guy in the blinking church to preach? God laughs, you understand? He's a happy person. Some of you are sad sacks. Here, here I am, I'm alive, out of my, out of this, out of my body, standing in front of a, 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 a light source. That, that My first impression, this must be the center of the universe. This must be the core of the cosmos. This must be where the beginning of life is. The intensity of the light was so bright, it got brighter and brighter as I looked towards the center. I couldn't see what was in it, so I thought, is this an innate power of goodness in the cosmos? Or is there something in the light? I mean, that's an interesting question. Is it just a source of good and evil and we're caught in the power of that, yin and yang? Or is there a personal being standing in the light that's actually inside there? As I'm questioning this, the person inside, because it says out of the heart the, the mouth speaks, God could hear my inner thought of speech. He then responded immediately and said, Ian, <laughs> there we are, that's answered it. <laughs> there is someone in there. Ian, how do you know my name? Do you wish to return? I thought, there is someone in there. Return where? Where am I? I look behind me. Here is a tunnel directly behind me going back into darkness. I thought, darkness, hospital bed, physical body, hospital, A&E. Am I out of my body, standing before a beam of light, talking to him and asking me if I want to return back into my dead corpse? <laughs> or am I lying in a hospital, comatized, having one of the most bizarre hallucinogenic trips with endorphins? Am I in what's called an NDE, near death? That means I'm not dead, it's all taking place in my head. Or am I dead, out of my body, talking to a beam of light who's asking me if I want to go back into my dead corpse? How many know those are the only two rational answers right there? <laughs> how many know it would be a lot easier I'm just tripping out of my skull lying in a hospital in a coma how many know it would be a little bit harder to digest I'm out of my body dead talking to a being of light who knows my name <laughs> I said if I'm dead out of my physical body I wish to return I don't know where I am he said and if you return you must see in a new light Light, see the light. How many of you heard that? Have you seen the light yet, brother? 
I'd seen red lights, strobe lights, and I said, get out of my way, you'll see some lights. Some. So I'm saying, well, are you the true light? As I asked that, he immediately responds and said, Ian, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. As he audibly speaks, like I'd seen the Lord's Prayer as words of light in an ambulance, these words appear in front of me. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I didn't know what 1 John 1, 5, I thought it was Roman numerology. I had no idea it was in the Bible. Never read one. I had heard teachings from Eastern mysticism. God is in the circle of life, yin and yang. Come on, how many have seen this one? Tells them. And you're caught in the midst of good and evil. And if you get it wrong, you can be reborn through in the cycles of reincarnation. I'm now standing here, and I had five yin and yang stickers on my town and country surfboard. I'm now standing before a being of light with no darkness. Do you realize Christianity is the only one that teaches this? I'm now standing, looking around me, no darkness. I look behind me. Look behind me and look around me now. How many shadows do I cast? How much darkness do I cast? When I looked behind me, I looked no shadow. Why? The light went through a spiritual being of light and cast no shadow. That's why the Bible says there's no shadow or shifting in God. Yet Psalm 91 says in the shadow of his wings, guess what? There's only light, so there's no shadow. I'd just come from darkness, and the men called it what? Hell. I'm standing before a being of light when there's no darkness, and it says God is light. How would you find yourself a little bit unnerved by that? How would you like to be standing before Almighty God in the midst of a pure light who knows your name, knows your thought, and can read your mail? before you could reformat your entire hard drive and wipe out all the files (laughs) and hope that they couldn't retrieve them. Have you ever reformatted your computer hoping that it would get rid of all the things you've been looking at? Not one of you, so here we are, another bunch of liars. So here I am, I am standing before a being of light who knows my name, knows my thought, knows my intent, knows every sin I've ever committed. How many feel a little bit uncomfortable? I thought they'd been the wrong man up. Someone's made a dreadful mistake and pressed the wrong button. I don't deserve to be here. I should crawl back under some rock, go back to hell where I belong. So I began to move back from the presence of this light, judging myself back to hell, because I was very well aware of who Ian McCormick was. Imagine if you died tonight and stood right in front of Jesus. How many would feel a little bit uncomfortable? So I begin to move back. As I move back, I see light come off his presence. I thought, here it comes, judgment, straight back. As the light hit me, instead of judgment and the wrath of God, love, completely unprepared for this, pure love sweeps into me, wave after wave of love. How many heard that love covers a multitude of sins? How many knows that God so loved the world, he laid his life down and sent his son to die for the sins of the world? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How many know that's a fairly big statement? I'm standing there, waves of love are hitting me, and I say, God, you can't love me. Don't you know my sins? More love comes. I thought, well, I might as well tell him now. No use coming in and then getting biffed out later. (laughs) 
Let's just let it all hang out. You know what I mean? So I just said, well, I've cursed you. Start off with the small ones. You know what I mean? <laughs> More love. I said, oh, I've slept around. Then I got a little bit. How many have got some skeletons in the closet which are fairly, fairly sick? No hands? Okay, just me. I'm telling you then. I'm sure you'd love to take notes. So I then said, I've done this, this, and this. And the worst I went, the went to the sickest, most whacked out stuff I've ever done that no one knew. God's love hit me. I thought, oh, my dear Lord, if he can forgive that stuff, then, hey, I'm finished. Next minute, I began to weep like a little boy. Something inside busted, and I could feel living waters flowing inside me, and I began to cry like a baby boy. I'd never wept like that since I was 12. I've been taught men don't cry, only boys. Suddenly, an avalanche of tears, and I had one big puddle of tears pouring out of me. I didn't think there was that much water in a man's body. As I'm bawling my eyes out, he said, son, in that ambulance when you prayed the Lord's Prayer, I didn't forgive some of your sins, I forgave all of them. <laughs> oh, what? Though my sins be scarlet red, he will make you as white as snow. You are not saved because you're good, but you are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You can't make yourself holy, only he can make you holy. Only he can forgive. I then felt this living liquid light, which is full of love, fill me up to overflowing, surround me, encase me in pure light, and I felt like a firefly or a glowworm in comparison to the glory of God. The Bible says all men fall short of his glory, and when you've seen the glory, you realize that the heart of that glory is love, because God is love. I now know that presence is actually the third person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives off love, peace, joy. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. I said, God, could I come into the light and see you face to face? If I could, I could put a name to God. No, I need to know, ask no other man. If I can see you, I can know who God is. Could I come into the light? He said, nothing. So I thought, well, best foot forward, mate. <laughs> Honestly. So I just stepped forward. I thought, if he tells me to stop, I have enough of the fear of God to stop instantly. But he said nothing. So I stepped into the light. As I stepped into the light, the light began to heal my broken heart. It was like veils of the most extraordinary presence. It was giving off an emotion that touched my heart of hearts. Where no friend, no lover, no family member could get. It was my heart of hearts. He went over my woundedness, over my brokenness, over my walls and healed. I began to cry more. Trouble is I was happy. I didn't know a man could cry and be happy. I never knew that emotion existed. I'd cried with repentance, now I was crying with an absolute healing joy as he healed my broken heart. That's why Jesus said when he preached, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me to heal the broken heart and set the captives free. And he literally touched men's lives right there on the spot in that synagogue when he preached in Capernaum. I walked in, the veils parted. The Bible says the veil's been torn within the Holy of Holies. As I look forward, I see a man in a dazzling white robe made up of a garment of light. Looks like, it looks like a, a, a robe of light, but it's ac- of cloth, but it's actually a garment of light. How would you imagine that God himself could wrap himself in a garment made of light? <laughs> Bare feet, arms outstretched. As I look to where his face is, I am literally 
taken back by the intensity of the radiance coming out of his face. It is seven to ten times brighter than all the radiance and glory that I've just walked through. His face is the epicenter of the entire cosmos. When I look into his face, having not hurt my eyes, I realize I'm looking into eternity with an eternity in his face. I'm like I'm looking into the beginning of the cosmos in his face. Although, my gosh, if he spoke, that has to be God. He could speak constellations, galaxies into, into existence. I'm looking into a man who has the form of man, but the face of God. Who on earth is that? That's God. But I was, I was struggling to put a name because his hair was pure white down to his shoulders. I had no understanding that the Bible, how many like to read the end of the book? Some people don't read books, they just get to the end, you know. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle said on the island of Patmos, in the spirit, I saw one like the Son of Man, standing in the midst of the lampstand, seven of them giving off light. When I looked to him, his head and his hair were white. Here we go. White, like wool, like snow. His face shone like the sun, in full strength. He said, don't be afraid, I was dead. Where? On a cross. But behold, I'm alive forevermore. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. How many would find that quite extraordinary, having never heard this preached, they've never seen it in a painting, never seen it in an icon, I'm seeing the resurrected, glorified Son of God that an apostle saw 2,000 years ago, and I'm standing before the resurrected, glorified Christ. Not someone looking like a hippie with brown hair out of God's spell. I'm looking at Jesus Christ, who literally is the exact representation of the invisible God. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I then read later in Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days, the Father, his hair was white like wool, like snow. But if you look at all the icons, all the stained glass windows, you will not see Jesus as the Son of God. You'll see him as the Son of Man. But the Bible says Jesus was God and took off his godliness and took on the form of man. So that he had become the second Adam. Where man had come, sin had come in through Adam, he had become the second Adam and he wouldn't sin. So he had fulfilled the law of sin and death and become the resurrection and the life. The new covenant. Saved by grace, not the law. How would you like to see Jesus with his arms outstretched towards you in his glorified, resurrected form? Not this. This. I mean, I know most Christians do that to sinners. Jesus does that. How many have heard of prodigal sons and daughters in the pigsty of life? What does Jesus do? He runs to them. When they start to repent, I'm wrong, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against my family, come home. I start walking towards him out of his countenance, of his face, light hits me, purity. I have the innocence of childhood restored into my spirit as I walk towards him who is holy and pure. Next minute, holiness comes into me. I am absolutely feeling for the first time holy and pure. I felt like I've never sinned before in my life. In fact, when I got married seven years later, I felt like I was a virgin, not a want-to-be. I felt like I'd never have sex before in my life. God had restored purity and innocence back into my spirit, and it hasn't left me in 30 years. as when I married my life. 
I can't believe it. How could God restore a man who was like a male prostitute? How many feel like sometimes you just sold your body for whatever? I walked in there and I was literally made new. <laughs> Amazing. Had the best life of my life since then as a Christian. No fear, there's no guilt, there's no shame. It's absolutely one heart, one mind, one flesh. I love it. I'm built to love, mate. I love my wife. Man, you've all gone quiet again. So anyhow, I walked up, Jesus loving on me. He's pouring his holiness and purity into me. I step up right next to him and I thought, maybe if I could see his face unveiled. So I put my face into the light to see the unveiled face of Christ. I didn't know that no man looks upon the face of God and lives. How many have heard that? Moses couldn't even see his face. He saw his glory and form, but couldn't see his unveiled face. He said, if you see it, you'll die. I now know if I'd seen it, I couldn't come back and talk to you. I'd have had to stay there. Because it says we will see him face to face and be fully known. So we all see his face, but if I'd seen it, there's no faith required. I could see his form and glory. If I saw his face, I could not be standing here talking to you. Jesus then stepped to one side, and I thought, why is he doing that? As he steps to one side with his hands, he moves back, and directly behind him is the same shape as the tunnel, and I realize that he's been like a door of light. He's been blocking something behind him. As he opens up, he then shows me what's behind him. Fields, grass, flowers, crystal clear river, mountains. He's literally showing me a brand new earth. Not dissimilar to parts of New Zealand. Because New Zealand's still got parts of paradise still left in it. Still parts of heaven on earth are here. I look and behind me a totally new earth going off and I'm thinking, I thought when you die and you went to heaven, you went up onto the pearly gates, people wearing white sheets playing harps and you had fat little cupid babies firing arrows at you with puffed up cheeks and wings out their back. And Morgan Freeman or something up there. <laughs> How many have seen all that stuff? No one prepared me that God has said, I have created a new earth. I used to have been to save the earth. God said, just get saved yourself, son. <laughs> so I've now got a new earth. I look up and I can see a new heaven. Guess what's up in that? The new Jerusalem, the city of God, the bride of Christ. How many have heard that this earth is going to pass away? How many know it's literal? He makes all things new. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. He said, if it was, I would have fought for this world. Satan offered him all the kingdom. He said, no, no, not interested. I've come to save souls. I've come to bring my sons and daughters home. True kingdom teaching and kingdom now teaching is Christ in me. The kingdom of God's within you. He hasn't come to geographically save this planet. It's like an old garment. It will pass away. He said, I make all things new. He said, in my father's house, I go and prepare a place for you. That gets rid of dominion theology or kingdom now or trying to take seven mountains. What he's teaching us is this world will pass away. That was an interesting statement, wasn't it? Jesus steps back in front of me and said, do you want to stay here or return? I said, I want to stay here. I don't want to come back. I said, he didn't move. I said, I have nothing to go back for. I'm not married. I have no children or none that I know of. He didn't move. I said, no one loves me. That was my ace up my sleeve. He still didn't move. So I thought, goodbye, cruel world. I looked back and right behind me was a vision of my mother. 
As I saw her, I realized that there was one person on earth that loved me, and if I was truly dead and stepped into eternity, what diary, what record, what paramedic, what ambulance driver could say that I became a Christian and professed faith before I died? None. It was all in my heart. If you believe in your heart. I was paralyzed. I couldn't even confess with my mouth. Don't get so religious. I stood there and thought, my mother would have to bury my corpse and think her elder son went to hell. I have to go back and tell her what she believes in is real. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a risen Savior. It's all true. Oh, that if I've been here once, I'm sure I can come back here a second time. (laughs) I was just checking for the boss. Come on, if you've been here once, mate, by the skin of your teeth, you don't exactly want to stuff it up and make sure you can get back there. I have no... It's, eternal life's a free gift. I know that I can't earn that, but my walk in Christ means that I have free access to eternal life. It's a free gift for those who believe. So I have no fear of death. It's like Clint Eastwood, make my day. What fear? Fear of death? No. What can separate us from the love of God? See, if you're more afraid of death than poverty or sword or famine or earthquake, you've missed it completely. Perfect love casts out all fear. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So if you have the love of God in you, the kingdom of God within you, you know that you are not in the, you're in the world but not of it. You're looking for a city made by God. You're looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. You're looking for a place that God himself has made. That's why he calls you an alien, a sojourner. Read Hebrews. Then you, if you don't get this, kingdom of God's within you. He's come to save your soul and bring it home. You will be trying to save this world. But he says, he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the greed for money. You have no idea. If you love this world, you've missed it completely. You can't save the world, but he can come to save souls, to bring them home into his kingdom. Because his kingdom is not of this world. You know where my home is? I ain't here, mate. And I'm so excited. I'm getting closer. I'm 62, mate. I'm getting closer. I've got a head start on some of you poor souls. Can't wait. And my wife, I said to my mother, next time I die, don't pray. She's 87. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> my wife said, well, guess what? We'll be praying. <laughs> Kids said, we're not letting you go yet, Dad. I was so excited. I said, how do I go back down the tunnel, back into hell and back into my body? I don't even know how I got here. He said, Ian, you must see things in a new light. I looked back and behind me appeared my brother, my sister, my dad. Hundreds of thousands of people, sea of humanity, going off into infinitum. I said, why are you showing me all these people? He said, most of them won't come into a church any longer to hear my name. I want you to go back and tell them what you've seen. I said, well, I don't even know who they are. I don't love them. He said, I love them, and I desire all of them to come to know me. I said, well, it's hard enough to love one person. How can you love the whole world? I could have manned a lighthouse. I didn't like people. Funny enough, God got me. <laughs> Dear Lord. He got a bunch of fishermen and a bunch of mucked up people who didn't like people. They just want to go fishing. He said, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. He took uneducated, 
unskilled men and said, I'm going to reveal myself to you and I want you to help save the world. I said, how do I go back into my body? He said, tilt your head, open your eyes, says he spoke. I was instantly back in my corpse, in an act, in a morgue in the hospital. They had moved my body from the accident emergency where I died and brought me down into the other part of the hospital where they put all the, all the corpses. <laughs> on the next level. It's not good to leave someone up in the A&E and he's covered up in the corpse. So we're going to get him out of there. I opened my eyes to find a doctor, another doctor, holding my foot with a scalpel, prodding like a dead piece of meat. Unbeknown to me, I'd been pronounced dead in the A&E. But the next thing is a doctor then has to certify that to make sure they didn't make a mistake. He had certified me dead and wandered off, and the third doctor was having a crack at my foot. <laughs> How'd you like to be the third doctor when the corpse opens its eyes and looks at you? <laughs> well, this boy goes through the ceiling like Marty Feldman. His eyes pop down on stalks. I thought, what the heck? God said, I've just given your life back. I said, if that's true, can I look out the other eye? I'm getting sick of looking at him. So I tilted my head to the left. The doctor then did go through the ceiling. As my head tilted, I found three nurses who had been working on me in the accident emergency had somehow followed the white corpse down. It was the first white boy ever died there. It was a Creole hospital. And they were gawking through the doorway looking at me. Well, one nurse went, ah, boom. She flew through the air in slow motion. Another one was looking over her shoulder. She got hit in the chin, knocked two of them back onto the ground. I thought, well, this is not someone coming out of a coma. They look like they've got the boy coming back from the dead. What the heck's the doctor doing? He was stuck in time and space holding my foot with a scalpel in the air. He then dropped my foot. I thought, oh, is he going to do a runner too? He said, you've been dead for 15 to 20 minutes. We've done nothing to bring you back. I thought, do I tell him? I thought, oh, dear. It'll be like one who flew over the cuckoo's nest, mate. They'll have me in a white jacket in a white room bouncing around in there with Prozac. <laughs> still hearing those voices, son? Still seeing those boys in white light? So I lay there and I'm telling them, I didn't even figure it out myself. I need another miracle. I've been dead more than three minutes. I need another miracle to heal my body. I may not ever be able to walk. I don't want to live on a machine. God, heal me or take me back to heaven. As I lay there, power went through me. Within the next, uh, next hour or so, my entire body was healed. I walked out of the hospital. Completely healed. I went back to the village. The men thought I was a ghost come back from the dead because they were involved in voodoo and witchcraft and ran, terrified. I went to sleep that night. As I woke up, my body was shaking like a leaf. I thought, what the heck? I looked at the window and it looked like eight, seven or eight people were gawking through the, door, uh, through the window, checking me out. I thought, why well, they all come to have a look at the dead boy come back life or something? As I looked at them, I realized that these weren't people. These were spiritual beings of darkness because as I looked at them, instead of a pupil of a human, they had slit like a serpent or a snake and were red. As I looked, I could see that I had seven supernatural beings, spiritual beings, that had the form of a man looking at me. And then one of them spoke to me, said, you are ours and we are coming home. I thought, you what? You are in me? What the heck? How many have heard of possession or bondage or how many heard of demons none of you how many have entertained a few <laughs> how many have heard the bible says when an unclean spirit goes out of a man jesus said it finds six or seven worse and comes back found the house swept clean and tries to come back in and live how many have heard of mediums and how many have been in front of a medium or a clairvoyant when they actually say, oh, I'm going to talk to your dead ancestor and a woman starts speaking with a man's voice? 
looks like somebody's come into them and taken over. How many have seen that stuff? Do you realize that's not the ancestor? That's a demon. That's a familiar spirit that knows everything about your family. When they go out to the gravesite and think, I'm going to connect the dead, they're talking to spiritual beings which were once fallen angels. The Bible says God judged them with fire. A third of the angels were cast to earth. They're supernatural beings looking for a host. If they, they can't find a human being, they'll try and find an animal, they'll try and find an innate object, they'll go into a Ouija board, they'll go into a glass, they'll go into whatever they can find, mate. And they have power, but limited power. I'm thinking, you and me, no way. Turn the light on, they're gone. I said, God, what's happened? He took me through my experience and said, Ian, the Lord's Prayer saved your life last night. Pray it again. I said, I can't remember it. Next minute, words came up, deliver us from evil. I said, God, deliver me from the evil and the boogeyman outside so I can go to sleep. Otherwise, I'm going to have to sleep with the light on the rest of my life because I'll be scared of the dark. I prayed. God said, now turn the lights out and go to sleep. So it's easy for you to say, you're up there, I'm down here at a pack of demons outside my window trying to enter me. What have I done to stir up the host of hell? As I lay there, the demons didn't come back. Next night I slept, woke up, they're in the room standing over my bed, mosquito net trying to enter me. Turned the light on, God took me through my test, we said the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. How many would not stop praying the Lord's Prayer from that day? <laughs> and guess what, they went. Next night they came and there was a girl from the village who had been trying to sleep with and she'd come on the window and said, oh, I want to see you. I said, no, no, I'm not interested. She said, I've got to talk to you. I went to her, opened the door and in her eyes were one of the demons that I'd been trying to come into me. And out of her voice came a man's voice. She said, you're coming with us tonight. I tried to shut the door, couldn't. That's why in psych wards, a lot of them get demon-possessed. They pick up bouncers, mate. They throw some of those, those, those nurses around the room like rag dogs. That's why they hit them with horse tranquilizers and straitjackets because they little kids who are full of that stuff could kill someone. That's why they have boys that can cut them with knives, won't cut them. That's why they hang from meat hooks and water on hot rocks. You wait till you pray, you'll burn your feet, mate. So here I am. I am literally watching the power of this. I said, God, help. He said, and I lifted my hand up and said, in Jesus' name. I thought, well, that's a curse word. How come I said in the name of Jesus? Next minute, the power hit this woman who was speaking out of a man's voice and threw her onto the ground. I thought, what the heck is that? He said, in this part of the world, son, if you sleep with the local girls, you marry them or they'll kill you. Her brothers are outside trying to drag me outside. Went to sleep the next night, thinking I'm getting out of this island, I'm going home. I woke up and the girl was at the window with her boy, her, her, her brothers, trying to get me out of the house. I thought, you ain't getting in, I've got steel bars in the window, you ain't getting in. Next minute I saw that they'd managed to open the door, open the window and through the steel bars they were, sp- they were bringing a spear and they were about to stick me and kill me like a pig in my bed. You realise your sin will find you out? I said, God, he said, best form of defense is attack. So I grabbed the spear, and like when you get a crayfish, push it forward and then pull it out. So I grabbed the spear, ripped it out, shone the torchlight on them, and they cowed off. I got on a plane that day, terrified. I flew back to Perth, and my brother was, and he was heading back from Perth and Fremantle to get married. I went to sleep in his mate's room. As I woke up in the middle of the night, wide-eyed demons, and I thought, you mongrels, you got on the plane and followed me from Mauritius. So I stormed around the room thinking I'm about to pray and tell them to get lost in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't exactly too sanctified, but anyhow, God knew what I was saying. <laughs> I was going to give them a bit of lip before I actually told them to get lost. 
And here is a little Buddha at the fireplace with rose petals and incense sticks. And the Lord said, the wide-eyed demons have come out of that idol. I thought, oh, my dear Lord. Now I know why Ganesh, when I walk past these things that they bathe in oil, put flour on and la, 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 uh, these things, I felt something looking at me. He said, that's right. The idols have spiritual entities of darkness inside them. They are supernatural beings of darkness, fallen angels. I said, whoa. He said, pray, bind the spirit, go to sleep. Flew down to Melbourne. My mate was trying to get me into some hashish. I said, no, I think I'm praying every day. (laughs) He said, do you think you surf still? I said, I think so. So I went surfing. I thought, oh, I'm out of here. My girlfriend up in Sydney, up in Narrabeen, said, oh, come up and see me. So I flew up there. She said, well, let's jump in the sack. I said, oh, I'm not sure. I might sleep on the couch. She said, you haven't gone gay on me since you've been away. I said, no, but I'm not sure about all this stuff. She said, well, do you still go to nightclubs and drink? I said, I think so. (laughs) I don't know. I'm praying every day, mate. (laughs) Not sure about surfing. I'm not wanting to sleep with you, so obviously we're going to have to do something here. Let's go down to the club. Who's playing? They said, oh, Midnight Oil down at the club in Narrabeen. I said, well, I like men at work and, and cold chisel. Midnight Oil, never heard of them. Go down, grab my beer, turn around, and hanging off the inside the nightclub, I have my eyes open to see all the demons. They all checked me out. I checked them out. I thought, well, bear down. I'm out of here. <laughs> Only every time I'd walked out of a bar like that was the Ramada Inn down in Christchurch and walked into the wrong place at the wrong time. One guy propositioned me there, and the other one, and I put my beer and walked out. Some of you don't know what I just said. Thank God. I hope you're not taping this. So here I am. I walk out and and my girlfriend said, what the heck's going wrong with you? You won't sleep with me. You're not even going to the club and you won't drink. I said, I'm going home. (laughs) So I jumped in the plane and flew home. As I flew home, my mum and dad were at the airport and as I got in, um, my mum looked at me and said, what the heck happened to you? Because by this stage, the poison had taken a lot of stuff out of me. It's 1982. I came back into the airport and they normally do a strip shoot. Fortunately, I didn't touch any. I got rid of all my drugs, so I was fine. And I got in the car driving back to Hamilton to my parents' place and my dad said, what have you done and seen overseas in the last two years that would be the most extraordinary thing that you could share with us, son? (laughs) Well, in the plane, listened to men at work and uh, super tramp on my Walkman. God had said, you're a reborn Christian. So I'd been mulling this thing over. I didn't know what the heck reborn was. Well, you have to die and come back to life. I'd heard of Baptists, Catholics, Anglicans, and they were reborn. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I don't fully understand it, but I died, saw God, and I'm a reborn Christian. <laughs> Turned out that my father was in the Masonic Lodge and had a rebirth ritual where they shoved him in a coffin, hoodwinked him, cable-toed him, and put a hangman's noose. And he thought it was Christian. My father then demonically manifest when I told him I was a reborn Christian and I'd given my life to Jesus. Because <laughs> within the lodge, you can believe any supreme being. You could be Gato, you could be Mahabone, it could be Shibboleth. You've got a whole bunch of stuff, and it's not God, that's God of the Bible. My mother was, couldn't believe that I got saved. My girlfriend here thought I was mocking around. She'd got born again while I was away. I said, God, what's happening? He said, read a Bible. I said, I don't have one. He said, your dad has. Went into my dad's bedroom, having rebuked demons out of his house a few moments before. <laughs> and he thought I'd lost the plot and become a nutter. And within six weeks, I read the entire Bible. My girlfriend said, come to church. She said, God's not in church. I've been there. I'm reading the Bible. She said, come to this church. It's called the AOG. I said, never heard of it. She said, it used to be the supermarket in Victoria Street. I said, now, <laughs> I think I'm nuts. We're going to a supermarket church. 
warehouse I'm in. So I wandered in. As I walked into the car park, I saw the light and glory that was shining from heaven coming out of the church. I stopped in the car park and thought, what kind of church is this? She said, it's Pentecostal. I said, I've never heard of it. I said, are you coming? I said, yeah, I'm coming. I wandered in, and I saw the guy who was preaching, his face shone like I'd seen in the Bible like Moses. There was a radiance in the countenance, and as he spoke, the truth was hitting my heart. No matter what defense I put up, no matter what argument I put up, the word he was speaking was as if he was hearing straight from Jesus and going straight into my heart. I'm sitting at the very back of the church trying to hide. (laughs) And then they do an altar call. He said, those who have come to church here, we'd like you to come up, burden heavy laden, come and surrender life publicly to Christ. We open the altar up. They did a song. Next minute I'm standing up in front of over a thousand people. I thought, sit down, you moron. (laughs) I looked at my girlfriend for help and I thought she was in pain. She was going, shanda, la, 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 la. I thought, what the heck's she doing over there, a weirdo? (laughs) I'd never heard anyone speak in tongues or do this kind of stuff. I was an Anglican. (laughs) 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 What's this girl in pain or something? But I loved her and knew her. I thought, she's not a nutter, but whatever she's doing, she's not much help. (laughs) This is really what happened. So I walked from the back of the church up the front. And the minister said, look, raise your hands out and bless these people as they come. I thought, they have no idea who I am. I must have sold drugs to half these kids. I felt the love of God hitting me because I was a user, a dealer, and a cultivator. Next minute, the power of God hit me and I started weeping before I even got to the altar. The guy up here with a glowing face said, God sees everything in your life. I'm going to come down and pray for them. I said, God, keep that man far away from me. <laughs> he had white shoots on. Those years, they were really weird, mate. They had white shoes, white jacket. I think they're all trying to prepare themselves for heaven. I don't know what they were doing. It looked different, white ties. <laughs> so I just, I didn't care. I looked at his face and this guy knows God. So I'm praying he'd stay away from me. Unfortunately, I'm looking at the ground. Here's his white shoes. <laughs> he lifted his hand up before he touched me. I was in heaven. And Jesus said, you can have the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Must be joking. I nearly got slain in the spirit under the power of God. A man put his hand on my back. I thought, who's here? I can feel anointing, power like electricity coming through his hand into my back. I turned around. It turned out to be a Messianic Jew. A Jewish guy had become a Christian, found out Jesus was Messiah. <laughs> Went out the back. They said, well, here's the steps to peace with God. And I thought, what are they doing? Taking us out the back of the whatever. So he sat down. Have you believe in God? I said, I've seen him. That blew Billy Graham steps to peace with God out the window. <laughs> he said, so have I. I said, when did you see him? He said, well, I, I was a Jew and I was selling cocaine. I cut up a kilo of cocaine. I wasn't using it. I was just making money. I'm a Jew. <laughs> Jesus walked through the wall, looked at me and said, Evan, what you're doing is not right. And Jesus walked out the other wall. I took the kilo of cocaine, went down to the dunny and dropped it in there and flushed it. He said, how did you see him? I said, well, I was there for 15 to 20 minutes and I saw him with his white hair and his face shining like the sun. Oh. <laughs> he said, are you reading the Bible? I said, yeah, I'm in the Old Testament. He said, have you got to the New yet? I said, no, I'm reading it from the beginning to the end. He said, why don't we just jump a little bit, find out a little bit more back here in the, near, near this part. 
And I said, oh, okay. And he said, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Those who come to me shall no longer walk in darkness. I said, you're telling me that Jesus is the light? He said, yes, son. John 8, verse 12. I said, I've seen him. He said, come to my home group and have a Bible study. I got baptised in water, baptised in the Holy Spirit and then started miracles taking place. Started laying hands on cows out on the farm at Okarari because I thought, don't lay hands on people too quickly, they'll practice on the cows. <laughs> some of them are flipping demonised. <laughs> they went into pigs and mostly got on some of these mongrel cows that are kicking me. I prayed for them, it got so quiet, my brother-in-law who wasn't saved said, what have you done to the cows that I've been praying for them? He said, well, pray they get a bit of a hurry up. They won't flip and move out of the blinking, out of the bale. <laughs> then I prayed for a cow with pink eye. You know what pink eye? Blind eye. God healed it. My brother was a pedigree breeder from Te Aumuru. Uh, he, he couldn't believe it. He saw that and basically he, he was shocked. He got saved that night. I'm done talking. It's most likely about half past 11. <laughs> no, it's 12.30. <laughs> the poor Sunday school teachers are mostly screaming, get him off. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? This happened in 1982 before some of you were born. I found Jesus in an ambulance. I've met him on a daily basis ever since. I experience his love continually. I still stuff up. I'm an ordained minister. Shock horror. (laughs) I love the Lord. I speak from Amish, which some of you have some weird programs on TV about the poor Amish, right through to the crazy money-grabbing Pentecostal name and claim and blab and grab it. Thank God Jesus saves everyone who turns to him. None of them have got the doctrine quite right. Because if you found a place that's got the doctrine quite right, <laughs> they're too proud. We're still trying to figure it out. Thank God there's enough in here to get you saved. And Jesus isn't a book, he's a person. We're not having a relationship with a book, we're having a relationship with the living word of God made flesh. The disciples met Jesus, the word of God. Pharisees saw the word and couldn't see when Jesus walked past. Didn't fit into their doctrine. What we're talking about, when I died, I didn't see a Bible, I saw Jesus. I love the Bible, it talks about him. Gives me boundaries and platforms in which he speaks and how he's talked to other people. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. More intimate than your wife, your girlfriend, your kids, your mum, your grandparents. He wants a friendship with you. What a friend I have in Jesus. He opens up the altar to anyone who would repent of their sins. How many people have sinned? What can take away your sins? My Bible says, if you repent of your sins, the blood of Jesus will wash all, not some, all your sins away. Then the next, that's the first bit. How many know that's a bit easier? Okay, we're sinners. Even an alcoholic at a bar can say, oh, you're my sinner, mate. (laughs) How about forgiving others? How many know that's a little bit different? That's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus said, if you've been forgiven, I want you to forgive every single person that abused, messed up, backstabbed, lied, hurt you. How many know that's serious? Because Father, he said, Father, forgive them as they crucified him. The third thing is, I'm no longer Lord. Every knee shall, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means 
you have to do what? God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the hand of Almighty God and He will exalt you. So if we're saved by grace, we must do what? Humble ourselves. How many know that's a tough one? Keep low. (laughs) Whose name gets increased? Christ. You, I must decrease, He must increase. The cross is death to selfishness, death to your pride, death to your me, I and myself, which is the next generation of kids. It's not all about you and how many coaches can sort you out. It's talking about finding your life in Christ, at the cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And in doing that, you will find Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as you stay humble, he will literally pour his presence and power into you. And your strength will be your weakness. Paul said, I boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might be perfected in my weakness. Because if I get proud and arrogant and puffed up, I'm finished. Can we have the musicians come? And I'm going to close. Hopefully the food hasn't gone off. The man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My heart's desire is if you do not know Jesus, if you have somehow backslidden and turned away and you've lost your way, and got into whatever bondage and whatever darkness, whatever evil, God can bring you out today. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where you say, I'm sick of evil, I'm sick of compromise, I'm sick of it. I'm so sick. I was a flipping mess, man. Brought up in a wonderful home, beautiful family, ended up in the gutter of life. I was in the pigsty best thing I did was come back to Christ. best thing I ever did was come out of, the, out of the darkness. And I haven't gone back into it for 37 years. I haven't slept with anyone else. I haven't touched any drugs. Or, so I, I just have stayed with Christ ever since. Can we sing this one song that I... You guys... Here we go. Let's listen to this. If you can, close your eyes. Sing with this song if you know it. If you hear those words, they're literally words straight from the heart of the Father. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Bring all your despair, all your brokenness, all your sin to the foot of the cross. And the blood of Jesus will wash it all away. I found that in an ambulance. You're in a church today. You're here because someone prayed for you. Someone loves you, a workmate, a colleague, a family, a friend. Someone has actually shown enough of Christ to even get you through the doors of this church. They can't save you. They can't repent for you. You have to do that yourself. Only you can call upon the name of the Lord. So if you'd like to bow your head and pray with me, I'd like to lead you in a prayer that could literally save your soul. It's a prayer of God, forgive me of my sins. I forgive others and surrender my life to you. So if you'd like to bow your head right where you're seated and pray this prayer out loud from your heart, please follow me church you're welcome to join me Lord Jesus Christ I come before you today I humble myself and I ask for your forgiveness I believe that Jesus died for my sins that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world Lord take away my sins forgive me Cleanse me with your precious blood. Wash me as white as snow. Set me free. 
and I forgive those who have sinned against me. And I surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life by the power of your love and your Holy Spirit. Fill me, Lord, with your presence, your peace. Help me, Lord, to follow you all the days of my life. I surrender all to you. In precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you've done that from your heart and meant it for the first time, or recommitting your life back to Jesus, somehow you've backslidden and lost your way, can you put your right hand on your heart? Because with a heart, man believes. And if you've really done that, and said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to know you, put your right hand on your heart. And with your left hand, can you lift that to heaven? It's a universal sign and say, Lord, that's me. Say, Lord, that's me. I give you my life. All that I am, I surrender to you. I don't fully understand it all, but I want to know you. I want to walk in your light. I want to walk in your truth. I want to walk in your ways. So Lord, you see those hearts, you see those hands. And I pray that you'd put a seal upon their hearts that no one can take. That that decision to follow Jesus would have eternal consequence. Bless them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Can we all stand? In 1982, in a service like this, the minister who was leading the service opened the altar. He said, here's an altar. It's not heaven, but it is a building where we can literally honor God. And if you've prayed in your heart and meant it, if you've truly surrendered your life to Christ, you're coming back to Him first time or rededication. You've gone away from Him. He opened up the altar and asked people to step out of their chairs and out of their seats and come before God and kneel before the Lord and surrender their life to Christ publicly. I thank God for that man. It broke the fear of man in me. I not only had done that in an ambulance, I now did that before over a thousand people. If that's you and you've prayed that prayer, we're going to sing this song one more time. And I'm going to invite you to start even coming now, before you even start singing, to make your way out of your chair and come up with me and kneel before God and say, Lord, I surrender. I give everything to you. It only takes one person to walk and step out and ask musicians to sing. If you're afraid to come, you come with a friend. Christians, you ask your friend, I'll come with you. If you're a little bit scared to come by yourself, but I invite you to come now as we sing this song in closing. Step out of your seat. If you've lifted your hand, you've prayed from your heart, come forward in Jesus' name. It's always a woman first. There's going to be more women in heaven than men, guys. If you're coming back to God, you come up here. Don't worry what other people think. Don't worry what God thinks, man. And if your friend is up here kneeling, you come and pray with them. If you've got a friend up here, you come up and kneel with them. You come and pray with them.